Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Temple Tonelli. I'm joined this week by Patrick Kagongo and Jason from Frozen and Carbonite to talk with Betsy Gordon, one of the editors of the Smithsonian's new book, Four Wheels and a Board. It's a history of skateboarding told through objects in the Smithsonian's collection. So Betsy, who are you and how are you and your co-editor Jane Rogers connected to skateboarding? I think the best way to describe me is a skate mom. Um, I'm not a skater. I mean, I know how to skate. I know I'm regular. I'm not goofy, but I can't kickflip. My son is a skater and he's been skating for almost his whole life. He's in his 30s. He started when he was eight. And I just thought that it was a great thing for him to do, despite a lot of negativity that I got from a lot of parents. I just saw a lot of positivity, a lot of creativity. And with that in mind, I also work at the Smithsonian and I'm a project manager. And that means I do whatever they tell me to do. I get assigned projects. And so I produce them. It could be a book. It could be an exhibition. It could be an exhibition with the book. And in my role as project manager, I stumbled upon a Native American artist named Dustin Craig. And he had submitted for an exhibition I was producing a short film called Four Wheel War Pony. And it was all about a group of skaters on his reservation. And I was so struck by that metaphor of in a young Native boy's life, the the skateboard kind of replacing the horse. And through Dustin, I got to know a lot about the Native American skateboard scene on the reservations, the intertribal competitions. And again, because my son was a skater, I thought, oh, he'll think this is really neat. You know, I'll bring it to him. What happened is I thought it was okay, but I thought it was so fascinating. So I ended up doing an exhibition on Native American skateboard cultures called Ramp It Up. That for some reason, was a very popular exhibition. It traveled around the country for a couple of years. So in these formative years, starting from about 10 years ago up until now, I just became convinced that skateboarding belonged at the Smithsonian. And I worked with Jane, my co-editor. She's the curator of sports. And together, I would say, you know, Jane, I think we should have more skateboards. Do we have any skateboards? And when I would get an opportunity, for example, Tony Hawk, not Tony himself, but Tony's people called me and said, would you like one of Tony's skateboards from the 80s? And the reason they asked me is I had one of Tony's skateboards from the 80s in my Ramp It Up show. And my response was, yes, of course, I I want that, Betsy Gordon, but the Native American Museum, that's where I work, can't take it. It has to go to the American History Museum. You know, we're all dissected into little parts. So I had to convince Jane that having Tony Hawk's skateboard would be a really great thing for American history. And that's how Jane and I got to know each other. And that's kind of how the skateboard collection started at the Smithsonian. So Betsy, thank you for talking about, uh, first of all, the Native Skate exhibition that you worked on and giving us a little insight into your work at the Smithsonian. There's a New York City-based skateboarding blog called Quarter Snacks, and they produced uh, a sticker some years back that said the United States of America, home of skateboarding and rap music. Skateboarding is something that is uniquely American that has been gifted to the world, like rap music, like the electric guitar, like blue jeans. 
how were you able to pitch this, uh, the book, and also anything related to skateboarding to some of your colleagues who might not be down with skating or maybe had watched the skaters over at Pulaski Park, Freedom Plaza in D.C., but never gave them much thought? Well, it's a never-ending pitch, okay? Although I think it's really changed since I really started, let's say, 10, 12 years ago when I was pitching Ramp It Up. I got a lot of pushback because the stereotypes of skaters of being vandals and drug addicts and so on and so forth. And I even had people when I was pitching Ramp It Up saying that they didn't want those types of kids in our museum, meeting, you know, the bad kids. And so I had to take a lot of that. I think what won them over is that the Native American skate decks that I had in the show, the graphics were so compelling and the stories were so good about how these different Native communities were using skateboarding. And so it gets down to what I always boil things down to at the Smithsonian. It's the stuff and it's the story. So I had to convince my colleague, cool, good stuff. These graphics are very interesting. And then the stories were very interesting. They very reluctantly allowed me to do ramp it up, thinking it would just, you know, like get out of my system. What happened though, is that another Smithsonian organization saw the ramp it up show. And they thought, wow, this is a really cool show. We want to travel it. So they traveled it all around the country and it was very successful. And I think that really helped the Smithsonian see that skateboarding wasn't just a like, you know, I call it the homeless glue sniffing teens out by the dumpster by the 7-Eleven. No, it wasn't that at all. And that most importantly, it was really bringing different audiences into the museums. Kids that never might want to be in a museum would come to a museum to see skateboarding. Also, this is a great museum word. It was very intergenerational. So you would see parents with their kids. The parents would look at a 1960s skateboard that I had in the exhibition going, yeah, I used to skate on that. So I think it became a good thing for the Smithsonian in general. Um, in terms of collecting skateboards, that's all Jane. Jane had to be the one that would, because she's a sports curator, kind of justify why these things should be in the collection. And, you know, if you get something from Tony Hawk, it's a great icebreaker, right? I mean, every if you don't even have to know skateboarding, most people know who Tony Hawk is. So as the collect, and then we would get other donations, we, meaning Jane, would get other donations, and then... We really started having a kind of concerted effort to have a skateboarding collection. And one thing that I really love about the, the Smithsonian is that we're the only museum and research institution in the world that collects skateboarding as a vital part of American history. Not as a toy, not graphic arts, just it tells American history. And so I'm, I'm really happy that we've been able to create a collection and really kind of come out with that. All right, Betsy, Jason here. Thanks for coming on the program. You mentioned the stuff and the story earlier. Um, along those lines, the book contains a mix of physical artifacts, historical facts, and a bunch of anecdotes. Was that your plan from the outset or did it just kind of happen that way? I think that was kind of our plan 
Jane and I, I mean, we'd been working together now for, I guess, 10 years. And, you know, she would say, hey, Betsy, I got this phone call from blah, blah, blah. And he wants to give me blah, blah, blah. And I'd say, oh, that's really cool. Or I'd get a phone call from somebody and they'd say, you know, we have this. We'd like to um, give it to the Smithsonian. And I would steer them to Jane. So after 10 years or so, we found ourselves with a variety of skateboard related things. Yes, we have skate decks, but we also have trucks and wheels. And then, you know, one of my favorite objects is the set of keys from the skate park of Tampa that Nick Halkius was supposed to give in when he was fired, but he (laughs) kept. So I think both Jane and I are very similar in that it's not a, it's not a hall of fame greatest hits collection. It's a collection that tells stories from pro skaters to just, you know, amateur kids and so on and so forth. The stuff in the stories and the stories that they tell have always been very important to us. And when we thought about doing a book, we really talked about the stories that we could tell. And then we kind, and then, you know, we had to form it into a narrative, lots of anecdotes, right? But you have to form it into a narrative. So it, it kind of makes sense to the reader So we did 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. We did it chronologically. And within each decade, we would try to fit skateboarding within what was going on in the 60s and so on and so forth. So we've kind of put skateboarding in a broader uh, context or narrative or perhaps timeline of American history. So that's how it started out in our heads. We also, at this point, knew a number of people in skateboarding that we thought were good storytellers, good writers, good storytellers. So we got them to write or we interviewed them and we just crafted this narrative. Well, it came out really cool. I I thought like, you know, I kind of had a preconceived notion of what the book would be like, just like kind of a history of skateboarding. But I think that the stories that you included were really um, interesting and unexpected and different from what you get in most skate books. So, you know, kudos to that. Were there any segments that you wanted to include that just like didn't really work out or like stories yeah. you wanted to tell? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like everything, you know, you have time and money, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, the book was supposed to be out um, right after the 2020 Olympics that were supposed to be in 2020, right? August, 2020. But COVID hit and our museum shut down and Jane and I were kind. And then of course they um, postponed the 2020 Olympics. So Jane and I were, we didn't really even know if this book was going to come out. Smithsonian books, they're, they're the uh, publisher, everything had to go on hold. So we kind of didn't know what we were doing. And then all of a sudden Smithsonian books came to us and said, yes, we want to do the book. And yes, we want to have it out. November of 2022. And this was probably 2021. So the, yeah, the Olympics had just started. So that didn't give us a whole lot of time. And so as we're scrambling and trying to get things, some things also just didn't look good on a page. I I specifically remember getting this hand-drawn flyer that they were putting up around New York because they wanted to do something at Tompkins and it was like save Tompkins. And I really loved that flyer and it had a map and everything. 
and I got the person who made it to donate it, but it just didn't look good. Like it was the white piece of paper with black lines on it and against a white page, it just didn't pop out. So I couldn't use that. Um, there are things like that that just couldn't get in the book or most crushing to me is that I had all sorts of stories that I thought were fascinating and my editors didn't think they were fascinating at all. <laughs> so they got a lot of my stories. And I was just like, what? This isn't the most fascinating thing you've ever heard. And they're like, no, Betsy, it makes no sense. So yeah, I mean, you, you're edited, right? Yeah, of course. Um, so it was good to have editors that didn't know anything about skateboarding because I think they were a really good way to filter some of my, you know, obsessive mania about how everything is interesting, especially with skateboarding. So yeah, there were things that didn't get in. And then also we're very much, we could only, we, we wanted to tell stories that our collection could illustrate. So for example, we don't have anything from Mark Gonzalez in our collection. Try as I have to get something from him. It just, the timing never worked out. So yes, I would have loved to have had a really great something on Mark Gonzalez, but I didn't have the source material in the collections to tell that story. So there are holes, of course, in the history. And I've heard some skaters say, well, how come you don't have anything? You didn't write anything about, you know, fill in the blank. And it's like, because I don't have anything. So yeah, it's, it's you know, it's not every skater that ever lived every skate graphic that's ever been printed, you know, it's what we have in our collection. Yeah. I mean, plus, plus, I mean, you're trying to tell a narrative that's about a hundred years long. <laughs> so, I mean, it'd be, you know, and skaters are like everyone else, like the time period in which they were like young, you know what I mean? Like their formative years, they're going to magnify that as you know, the best. It's just like, you know, anything. So yeah, it's a Herculean task try to cover yeah. and you know we we and i'll say it over and over again this isn't a greatest hits collection i mean you can and there are a lot of private collectors of course that would have a much more comprehensive collection of like every skate graphic ever made you know every skate deck but that's not the experience that i wanted our readers to have i didn't want it to be skate deck skate deck skate deck skate deck turn the page Skate deck, skate deck, skate deck, skate deck, you know? I just thought visually we had different types of things to show and different types of stories to tell. Betsy, you, you've touched upon something that has actually really come up in a lot of conversations amongst older skateboarders, actually amongst all skateboarders, about how do we preserve this culture? How do we preserve this media? Something that skateboarding really lacks is a comprehensive archive and something that you know, just looking at the proofs of the book that y'all sent over, is that this is really close to what I would picture for foundation for, say, a full-on skateboard museum, because it's a mix of not just the skateboard decks, which are a form of artistic mm -hmm. expression, but also the media yes. and the shoes and the cameras, yes. the connections to hip hop and graffiti and punk yes. rock culture, the zines. Yes. It, it's an all-encompassing package. And I guess I, what I wonder is, what would it take, you know, as somebody who works at the Smithsonian, as an expert, what does it take to establish a collection, actually really build out to show people that this is a culture, this is, is, is something that's worth celebrating? And, and, and I want to add one more thing. I really appreciate the fact that y'all frame this as 
this is a, a form of American cultural patrimony. It's not a toy. It's not just a water activity. It's something that came from this country that we gave to the world. And the world mm-hmm. is better for it and more interesting because of it. So how do we how do we get a you know how do we you know find a library and start some sort of a collection to create like a real skate museum? Because there's a lot of people who have huge collections of stuff. Yes, and it's not just skate decks. Well, let me tell you, I can't answer that question as much as on my entire professional career, and now I'm talking about 35 years, almost 40 years, have has been in museums. I think you have to make choices of what is valuable because if you collect everything, then nothing is valuable. You have to, you know, curation means making educated choices, this, not that. And if you get this, you need 10 copies of this. So collecting in a museum and making a museum, I would say you need space because these things take up huge amounts of space, you need to have the commitment to keep it forever. So, I mean, I think one of your questions was about digital media and paper and, you know, collecting magazines and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's super hard. Paper is fugitive. Um, If you want to keep it forever, you have to keep it in the dark forever and you don't let people see it or touch it. Scanning it, of course, is one thing, but our technology changes all the time. So let's say we wanted to digitize everything right now in the skateboard collection. By the time we finished, there'd be new technology. Do you know what I mean? That would make whatever we had obsolete. It's kind of like 35 millimeter film is now, you know, not the way to capture things. So it's a hard business, this museum business. One thing, though, you need to have, if you're going to be the Smithsonian, you you take it forever and you take care of it forever. And I, I work a lot with the Library of Congress and people will say, well, why should I give something to the Library of Congress? And I say, because they will keep it forever and they are committed to always making it available to the public forever. So Skateboard Museum, yeah, I think it should happen But what does that mean? Does that mean a physical place? Does that mean you have an online experience where you can look at things? I don't know. It's a huge commitment, though. And I think that Jane and I hope that we can do our little part at the Smithsonian. You know, and we tell American history. I mean, skateboarding is not American. There's a whole global audience now and a global participation So I really don't know how to answer that question, which is funny because I talked for like five minutes straight saying I can't answer the question, but whatever. It's perfect for podcasting. Uh, A long answer. Exactly. Um, So then, okay. So opening up that question to the floor. So let's say we get some amazing benevolent benefactor or one of us hits the Powerball and we've got some land and we've got a museum space, Jason Templeton and Betsy what would you want to contribute to the collection for that museum? If there was going to be a skateboard history museum? Well, um, you know, right off the bat, uh, from my personal collection, I would donate a pair of venture trucks. Um, yep. After that, I think just like physically, one of the most important boards was um, the Mike Bellelli Barnyard board. That was, yeah. I want that. I've actually asked Mike for that and have <laughs> yeah. not been able to, 
Um, I haven't closed the deal yet, Jason. Okay. So no, I, I t- when I, you wrote that down, I was like, yeah, I want that too. <laughs> I mean, that's like so important. The graphic, the shape, everything. Yes, yes, yes. And also a pair of blind jeans, uh, fashion being such a huge part of skateboarding yeah. culture. Yeah. I, I would want to have a VX 1000 with a fisheye. Um, yep. I think that that's like such, I think that like that set the standard for like action sports videography for a solid decade. And I don't know, I'm like a video guy. So that's what I think is important. And then I think that pieces of famous now gone skate parks, like a EMB brick and some tiles from love park. I think those would be cool to have. I think that, you know, there's probably some, some pieces of some handrails that are out there. Like I know, I know the San Diego 10 stair handrail is out there somewhere. That would be cool to have in a museum or that 30 stair rail that Cardiel grinded. Like, I think that would look really cool in a museum. Yeah. So I, I think like, like pieces of locations. Cause I think that, you know, skateboarding doesn't have stadiums, like the streets are our stadiums. So like to have those pieces preserved would be cool. Patrick, what about you? What would you want in the skateboard museum? Let's see. I'd want some bricks from Brooklyn Banks, Place Messina in Nice, France. Um, I'd want an interactive exhibition in there. For example, uh, let's say you get a copy of a Thomas Guide and you have to pretend like you're a filmer or a photographer and you're putting together, you know, you're putting together a mission. You're going to go and find places. And so basically we'll see how good your geography is. And, you know, you'll have an interactive map with famous skate spots and see, okay, which way do I want to go? And what do I want to, what do I want to take pictures of? What do I want to film? And you you could have clips and photographs from each of those spots in in whatever city. I think also if money was no object, I would ask Transworld, High Speed Productions, which is Thrasher and Slap RIP. I would ask folks to open up their vaults and send Mm -hmm. us cool stuff, you know, send us, uh, send us photos that were never run, send us proofs of original magazines, things like that. You know, the University of Maryland has a museum. I I guess it's a punk rock collection at the Clarice Smith Performing Center. And it's actually John Davis from the band Q Not You, who I believe is the director or the curator over there. And they, because that, you know, because that collection exists, it's kind of created a ripple effect. There's a lot of people who had or have huge collections who took the pandemic to organize everything and so the, you know, the collection over at Maryland has grown significantly. I can only hope that there's collectors out there in skateboarding. If they heard about a skateboarding museum would be down to say, I want to donate all this stuff, clear out some space out of my house, apartment, garage, whatever. Betsy, are you guys rejecting uh, submissions? Like if people are like, hey, like I've got, like I used to film skateboarding. If I was like, hey, I got this box of mini DV tapes, there's like some footage on there that ended up in like yeah right do you guys want it like i don't think it's that historically significant but it is part of the skateboard history like would you guys be like sure we'll take it or "Mm, that's not quite uh good enough yeah that's a really good hypothetical and first of all i really like everybody's answers and i'm kind of like i if you saw me i'm like yeah yeah i want that one too like i talked to rb molly and i'm trying to get his camera you know i mean all, all of those things And the hypothetical, if I, you know, if you came to Jane and I and said you had that, you know, it's such a strange thing curating this collection, because first of all, we just don't go shopping. 
Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a lot of things that we'd really like, but we don't go and just go, we want one of these, one of these. We really like to build relationships with people. So Templin, let's say you said you wanted to give us this. I would really, Jane and I would really spend some time to get to know you. Mm -hmm. And then we'd say, how do you want to be remembered? What do you want your legacy to be? If you could give us one thing, what would it be? If it were five things, what would it be? How about 10 things? So we try to really get, and you can see that in the book, a really personal narrative Mm -hmm. because we like the history being told by the history makers. And I think we talk about your expectations. You know, a lot of the stuff won't be on view. And also we'd have to take your stuff and keep it forever. So as you know, film is quite fugitive and you have to keep it in very certain types of temperature. Do we have the capacity to take care of these things forever? So it would be a lot of giving and taking of, of, of conversations. That I think gives you a little bit of a window of, of how, when things are offered to us, how we evaluate them. I would say 99.9% of the time we say yes, because we don't have a huge collection. There are times when people have offered us things that we've, you know, kind of just had to very politely decline because they might just be, for example, some things that are very dear to a certain person, but might not really have that compelling story behind it Mm -hmm. Um, or a story we've already told. For example, we have really interesting, and you have to be a total nerd to like this, but of course I love it. Um, We got from Frank Nasworthy a bunch of his first wheels, different iterations of his Cadillac wheels. And they came from Frank Nasworthy. They have lots and lots of his notes and stuff like that. If somebody came to us and they had some Cadillac wheels, we'd have to really see, you know, does this augment what we have? Does it tell a different story? Because getting the story of Cadillac wheels from from Frank Nasworthy is hard to, I don't know, augment? Uh, Yeah, hard to top that, like straight from the source. So, yeah, so it's not that we don't want it, but we already have it. We have a really good provenance, you know, really good backstory. So um, it's, it's a funny game, this museum game. Because you can't take everything. And even if you take it, you can't guarantee that it's going to be on view on exhibition forever because things should not be out forever if you want to preserve them forever. For example, if we got some proofs from the very first issue of Thrasher, I would it would be very hard for me to put that on exhibition because just it seeing the light is going to really degrade it. I would probably scan it and put a facsimile. Mm-hmm. on exhibition and just keep the real thing, you know, hermetically sealed and all that kind of stuff. So it, it, it's just a funny thing you go through. Actually, speaking about Thrasher magazine, today Thrasher just announced the skater of the year for 2022, Tyshawn Jones yeah. from New York City, from yeah. the Bronx, the boogie down Bronx, king of New York, only the third person to be Sodi. Um, while you don't skate, you are very much in, you're in the culture, you're in the know. What is a trick or a video part or something like that that you've seen that made you say, wow? Oh, you're asking the absolute worst person because (laughs) 
I watch skate videos, but not like you guys. Okay. So like, I can't look at and go, oh, that's a bad blah, 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 blah. Like I'm terrible at that. All right. And my son has tried to teach me and will like write it down on paper. And I'm still, and he's like, so is that switch or fakie? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and he just gets so enraged at me. Skate parks that I can tell you who's skaters. I can't mention parts. I mean, because I just don't remember that well. And I, I'm, you know, the parts that I will remember are really old ones. Like I remember seeing Alyssa Steamer's part mm -hmm. um, and just thinking that girl can skate, you know, I, some of my favorite skaters, because I just like how they skate. I really love a shod wear. I really love the way he skates. I mean, Tyshawn, that photograph of his on, you know, the recent thrasher of him going over the um, subway. I mean, mm -hmm. that's incredibly memorable. It, you're just asking the wrong person. I won't be able to talk about skate videos with you. I, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I think you're being a bit self-deprecating because those were high quality answers. <laughs> Real talk. And 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 Alyssa, the thing about Alyssa Steamer is there is an entire worldwide movement of women who skate who all credit that part from yeah. Welcome to Hell from 1996. Yeah, uh, well, Welcome to Hell to me was a really also important video. Um, just just if I'm gonna be like a little bit of a skate nerd, I mean, that introduced the world to Alyssa and also Brian Anderson. Mm -hmm. And two, I think, you know, who have gone on to have really interesting careers and are very interesting people. There are skaters who are at the top of their game and, you know, are have been skater of the year, so on and so forth. And I have spoken to them and they have very little to say. Maybe they're just not old enough, I'm not sure, but we try to get involved with skaters. And as you can imagine, skaters who might actually even understand what the Smithsonian is and see value in it. So, you know, Alyssa's in our book, Brian's in our book. I mean, these are people that we've had these relationships with that will talk to us and we can interview them. And um, so, yeah, it, it, it's a funny thing. Um, oh, I was going to say, maybe uh, you can form a relationship with Tyshawn and it sounds like he's going to have two, uh, two of those rusty trophies. So maybe he could uh, send one your way. Yeah. I mean, I, what I'd love to do is talk to him and get to know him. I mean, he's pretty young though. So it's going to be hard to say, how do you want to be remembered? Do you know what I mean? As the right king now, of New York. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm an East coast girl. I'm all for New York. And um, I mean, you know, if you read the book, we have rookie skate, we have shut skate, we have zoo York. You know, I, I try to do a righteous representation of East coast skaters. Yeah. That's the thing. If you get, kind of the hottest skater now. It's hard to have these conversations about legacy. And that is a really interesting thing for Jane and I as curators, because you know, when the Olympics were going on, do did we rush and say, hey, we want your, you know, your bronze medal. Of course, you, you'll never get that. But it's hard to kind of capture the hottest at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Because we have to kind of think about what story it's telling. And right now, the story would be Skater of the Year, Tyshawn, Skater of the Year. How does that age? I right, that makes sense. Because, yeah, in 100 years, is one, yeah. you know, Skater of the Year from 2022 as important as some other object? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I have to, to admit that, that, you know, Jane and I know that we, we need a lot more 
Black representation in our collection. It's over, well, I wouldn't say it's overwhelmingly male because we have a lot of women in our collection, but it is overwhelmingly white and male. So which skateboard representation and documentation has been that for a long time. So we really have tried to diversify our collection and also in the book have a lot of different types of people writing. But, you know, that's that's a weakness in the collection that we really want to um, to work on. Hi, Sean. Ishad, you need to call this podcast. I love Ishad. I met Ishad at X Games. What a nice boy. <laughs> see? See? Okay, this is the start. This is, this is how we start the relationship. Yes. Hi, Sean. Ishad, get all the homies. Get everybody. Get everybody. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, really, I really appreciate you speaking out about or, or, or pointing out the fact that the collection is still growing and it needs that representation. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and what's, what's been really amazing to watch over the last decade is thanks to social media, seeing skateboarding blooming in places all over the world, places that you would never think they're skateboarding. So uh, I'm Ugandan American. My parents came here from Uganda in the early 1980s. And there's a skate park in Kampala, in the capital, called, in, called at a place called Mukono. And it's all over Instagram. It's all over Twitter. You know, those kids have really built something from the ground up because they really loved the mega ramp, you know, Danny Way's yeah. mega ramp. Oh, wow. And that's all over Africa, all over the Middle East, all over Asia, all over South America. So I guess then the question is, how do you capture what's happening right now that's really just being captured only on social media, that there isn't as much physical documentation of it? It's such a good question. And it's so hard. I don't know. Jane and I kind of do the best we can. I can tell you what what being captured right now that interests me from the Native American Museum, because we're, our, our collection is hemispheric, where we collect from the Americas. And there's a group of indigenous women from Peru. They're called um, Emila Skate. And they're women that skate in traditional um, Quechua indigenous uh, clothing. Mm -hmm. And I think that would, I totally, I don't speak Spanish. So I have to have somebody kind of write the letters and stuff like that to get in touch with them. But that's something I would like to capture that's going on right now that I would like to have from my museum. And, you know, Jane and I talk a lot about, you know, SODI and, and, and collecting opportunities and who we need to talk to. And another thing that's really exciting me that's happening right now is that Howard University has a skateboard club and they're trying to kind of do these meetups with other university skaters. And I re that's a right now thing that I really want to get to know more about and kind of try to figure that out. And maybe there's some collecting opportunities there because I think that's a really cool story. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess I might want to tell the listeners that um, this isn't my job. <laughs> I'm a project manager. I have like three or four other projects I'm doing at the museum that are my assigned duties, as they say. But I'm so passionate about it that I've been allowed to kind of work with Jane in this ad hoc uh, position. So I, I, I really, this isn't my full-time job, although it does occupy a lot of space in my head. Betsy, as far as the uh, contributors to the book, um, you know, one of the big challenges with this type of thing is m helping non-skaters understand skating, which is ridiculously hard. It's been hard forever. Someone who did a good job of that was our 
rival podcaster or colleague in podcasting, shall we say, Ted Barrow. Um, oh, Ted. Oh. Yeah. How, how did you uh, rope that guy in on the on the project? Well, um, when he was making a name for himself as like, what was it? Feedback um, TS. Yes, Feedback TS. <laughs> One thing that Ted is, is he's an art historian and my background is in art history too. So he would have right. some little blurbs, some art history blurbs. So I think I just did what everybody does. I, I direct, you know, I DM'd him on Instagram and we started talking and I just, you know, he's a nice person. And we happened to know he was going to the same skateboarding conference that I was going to in London called Pushing Borders. Right. Mm -hmm. He was giving a session. I was giving a session. So we met at Pushing Borders. And, you know, he's just a nice fellow. He's very generous. And we became friends. And um, we saw it. And we kept in touch because he's right. He's I think he's done it. I think he has his Ph.D. now. But he was doing a lot of, you know, dissertation work and museum work and I'm in a museum kind of thing. So we just have a lot in common. And I really like the way he thinks about skateboarding. And I like the way he writes about skateboarding. So yeah, that's how I got Ted slid into his, you know, DMS on Instagram <laughs> um, and took him out for a cup of coffee in London. Yeah. But no, I mean, we're still, I've just talked to him maybe two days ago. We're, we're still very good friends and almost everybody probably everybody that's in the book is someone that I am lucky enough to say is a friend, you know, some very close, some like Alyssa, I know, but you know, we don't hang out. So yeah, it, it was just, it was just calling people up saying, Hey, I wanted this book. And I think you could write something really interesting about, you know, being a woman and skating in the eighties or something like that. So I, it was, we were really lucky. Nobody said no. So were you kind of like giving assignments like, hey, we've got this, like, we want to tell this story and we think that you're the person to write this? Or were you like, hey, we're doing this book. Do you have anything? It was it was about? more like Jane and I were like, you know, we were doing the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And so we looked at our stuff of the 60s. OK, and we thought and we're lucky enough that we had some things from Jim Fitzpatrick, who is a fantastic storyteller. And he's been around skateboarding since the beginning. You know, he took the first skateboards to Europe when he was on a surf trip. Um, and he just had these surf, these skateboards, Makaha skateboards that he was giving, like, like Johnny Appleseed. You know what I mean? He'd mm -hmm. give these skateboards to these people. Fascinating guy, was a Bones Brigade guy, um, you know, team manager in the 80s. Started I Ask in, I think, in the late 90s, early 2000s. So he's been part of skateboarding. So, yeah, we said, oh, 60s, we can ask Jim. And so as we started looking at things, we'd say 70s. Oh, we can ask Cindy because she was doing this. And let's go to Rich Novak, like people we knew that we thought would be really good, good storytellers. So that's what we did. We just kind of had our list of what they might want to write about. And then, you know, especially you have to have these long conversations with your authors about what they want to talk about. And then, of course, you have to say there's a word limit. Right. Um, and that's really hard, uh, but we worked. For example, we knew we wanted somebody for sneakers. And I didn't really know a lot of sneaker heads, but I, I knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. And so that's how we got Kevin Imamura, who wrote an amazing, like 7,000 word essay on sneakers in the history 
and the importance of, of shoes. I shouldn't say sneakers, shoes in skateboarding. And of course, we had to distill it down to 1,500 words. And that's so painful. It's oh, painful yeah, I'd love to, to I'd love to see the full oh it was amazing and you know he he he's a sometimes you have really amazing people but they can't write let's put Mm -hmm. it that way okay and you can't have everybody write and kevin was he's a good writer he knows his stuff our collection wasn't really as robust as it should be you know we did the best we can we don't have all the great you know shoes in skate history but so that you know you just go back and forth you you try to get try to get the best you try to get the best stories and have it illustrated with your stuff let's put it that way yeah super super interesting project because you've got the the objects that are kind of like your starting point and then you got to pair them with the people and maybe it's a great object and not a great writer or whatever it's it's, yeah it's really interesting and yeah i think that the book it it was so different from what i expected because I never, I, I do exhibitions, so I really like stuff and stories. I like seeing real things. I get, I get a lot. I love museums, and I love seeing things. And it wasn't till I was really, it's so funny, because, I'm, you know, you spend your whole life in museums, and you go to museum conferences. But when I went to Pushing Borders, and I was, like, the only museum person there, and I was talking to a bunch of skaters, it really dawned on me that, Hardly anybody is interested in history. <laughs> Not a lot of people think museums are interesting. So, I mean, I just had this unconscious bias that, of course, everybody would want to go to a museum and look at things. No, um, they'd rather be skating, right? That was kind of an interesting, when I was talking about doing a book, they were looking at me like, well, why would you do a book? We, we, we're going to go skating. So that's an interesting thing. But that's just the way I, I, I guess I, my whole life has been in museums. So I really like looking at artifacts and connecting disparate things that might not go together to tell a story. You know, I, I, one of the things I really like about the Smithsonian is we have the skate deck from Strange Love Skateboards, and it's all about the Apollo 11 landing, but it's about the conspiracy theories about the Apollo 11, 11 landing. And it's such a funny graphic. And they sold the board with a tinfoil hat, which made me like love it even more because it's so funny. But the thing about the Smithsonian is like we can have a skateboard about conspiracy theories, but we actually have the lunar module from Apollo 11. So it's interesting to kind of juxtapose these strange things, but they all go together and tell a story. Yeah, along those lines of skating, museums, bringing them together. There's a photo of Tony Hawk skating. Excuse me. Oh, right. His last when he gave us his first deck. Yeah. Yeah. um, Looks like y'all had a mini ramp set up like outside. Yes. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Was that like a one time thing or something y'all do regularly or what? Oh, um, that was the first thing that we did in a public program that we call InnoSkate. Part of the Smithsonian is something called the Lemelson Center for invention and innovation. And the deputy director of the Lemelson Center, a guy named Jeff Brody, became very interested in skateboarding as a way to showcase creativity and invention. Because when you think of invention, you think of a bunch of white men in lab coats, right? Like, oh, and they're pouring stuff from beaker to beaker. He really thought that if we could use skateboarding to show people that it's a bunch of kids making it up, literally. 
And so InnoSkate was that festival in which Tony came and skated. We had a little mini ramp set up. And um, Tony, that's where he donated his, his the first deck that his brother Steve gave. And um, Innoscape has been around the country in different venues. I think they might, there's an Innoscape maybe every year or every other year. We did an Innoscape at MIT, which was really amazing because we got the MIT physicists and their staff to talk about the science uh, behind skateboarding. So it, it's a really interesting uh, public program that cool. the, um, Lemelson does every year, every other year. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, if you do another one in DC, I'll, uh, I'll come up cause I'm just down here in central Virginia. So. Oh yeah. I'll let you know. Don't, don't worry. You <laughs> should you come go. up anyway. Just I know, come, I know, I know, I know. I really come should. and see the collection. I mean, go behind because you know, yeah, it's an open invitation. You're there in you DC. You're in DC. We're gonna we're gonna show you the collection. You can go into what we call storage. Okay. Oh my! Wait, wait, hold okay. up. Okay. Yo, like, uh, <laughs> you just opened the floodgates, Betsy. <laughs> I, I always, is it like is it like that scene at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark where it's like a gigantic warehouse with a guy wheeling a a cart up and down? Because that's what I always envision it like. Um, I've been to that place. There are some <laughs> places at the Smithsonian where you're like, holy moly, like. That that wasn't a cinematic kind of fictional thing. There are places like that at the Smithsonian, but where the skateboards are stored, which I cannot tell you where they are, um, right. it's not that type of experience. But it's really cool, really oh, cool. We cool. just had Sean. We just had Sean Cliver in. Um, oh, there you go. Oh. Yeah, Sean, Sean gave us an amazing donation. Um, unfortunately, it couldn't make it into the book. But we had a really lovely time with him and his wife and his son. Jim Fitzpatrick came on that um, visit, too. And Jim has given um, some really amazing things to the collection. So it's always fun to have people in and kind of see their reactions to things. Uh, Betsy, you know, just by mentioning uh, Jim Fitzpatrick, Sean Cliver, you know, for a lot of us skateboarders, even us nerdy ones who are on a podcast, for example, <laughs> you know, we often sometimes feel like um, we're on another planet when we're talking amongst ourselves, either in group chats or at the skate shop or between tricks at a skate spot or a skate park. There's something really validating and awesome to hear the people whose names that we speak about in reverent tones, you know, being discussed at the Smithsonian, that they're going to the Smithsonian, that their that their artwork, which changed a lot of our lives. I mean, yes. Jason, Jason is an admitted world kid. He's our resident expert on all things world blind 101 plan B uh, from that particular corner of skateboarding down in El Segundo, California. But that was a, you know, that was a, a, you know, all of the artwork that Mark McKee and Sean Cliver did. I mean, that was a paradigm shift in skateboarding, not just in the graphics, but also the way that people thought about how to express yourself as an artist in skateboarding. And it's just like, it, 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 it just gets me hyped. It gets me really excited to hear that, you know, you know, this is the tip of the iceberg. There's more of these people out there, you know? Oh, yeah. And when you say tip of the iceberg, it makes me feel so kind of unworthy, you know, <laughs> because I know as much as I can possibly know. I don't know as much as you guys. 
And, you know, Jane and I have this awesome responsibility, but Jane is the sports curator, not the skateboard curator. So she's always telling me, Betsy, you know, I just can't have a collection of skateboards. But um, one thing that it's interesting to me, and I'm constantly, Jane and I are kind of constantly proving that skateboarding is Smithsonian worthy. There are people that might say, to Jane, and they do say to Jane, another skateboard you just got to last month, as if, you know, one or two skateboards, that's it. That's right. adequate. That's, and I would say most museums might do that. You know, they use skateboarding as a thing, like a hula hoop. It happened. It's here. It's around, you know? So, um, and I know from my museum, I did the ramp it up show and I think that that's it. They, they, I don't think they're that interested in doing another native American culture, skateboard culture show. Although so much has changed since I did that show 10 years ago. So it, it, you're always kind of trying to justify um, why this thing is museum worthy, it, it, but then not overwhelm them. And Jane of course has a, a you know, she doesn't have, a football field worth of storage. So we have to be fairly, I can't overwhelm her every day with Jane, you should get this, Jane, you should get that. So we've, you have to balance between, I'm feeling like, oh my God, we have, we need so much more stuff. I don't know anything. I have to do this to the reality of we don't have the storage. And as we were talking about that mythical skateboard museum, where do you start, but where do you stop? Yeah, it's it's never ending. The history just keeps on going forever. Hopefully. Yeah, and as historians, you know, it, it's just it, I don't know. I don't know. Let's call Ted. Ted will know. Ted, <laughs> Ted will know. Yeah. But <laughs> if would. he doesn't pretend he does, yeah, <laughs> he'll pretend he does. Yeah, let's just let's have somebody like Ted talk about it. I think we'd all be stoked to uh, hear what Ted had to say on the subject. Which brings us to the part of our show where we talk about what we're stoked on. Patrick, what are you stoked on this week? All right. Well, I'm stoked on quite a lot this week. First of all, I am stoked on Spitfire Wheels. And speaking of Spitfire Wheels, shout out to the 2022 Skater of the Year, Tyshawn Jones, King of New York. Uh, I'm also really stoked on Morocco beating Spain in penalties in a World Cup knockout game. Also really, really, really stoked on a couple of games coming up this weekend. Netherlands, Argentina tomorrow on Friday and France, England on Saturday morning. Allez les bleus! Jason, what are you stoked on this week? I'm stoked on Venture Trucks, uh, San Francisco, California. Also stoked on Tyshawn being skater of the year again. Well-deserved. Also stoked on a video out of Spain from a company called Ole Skateboard. Some very solid kind of mid-tier Eurotech there. So check that out if you're into that. And stoked on a part for, I guess, I guess the Theories of Atlanta's board brand by Niall Lovett. Um, this video part's cool because he's super tech, but he skates like some crusty ass spots that we've never seen before that are kind of cool that I guess are in the Midwest out there. Betsy, what are you stoked on this week? Well, I am really stoked that you asked me to be on this podcast and um, was able to talk to you about skateboarding because it's probably the thing that I love the most really is to talk to, about skateboarding to skateboarders. So I'm stoked about that. I'm super stoked that my friend Ted Barrow has his own truck now. Um, and I think it's on venture trucks. I can't be sure. I'm that is correct. Yes. Yep. Confirm. 
Yeah. Okay. So I'm stoked about that because that the, the whole story of that graphic makes me laugh because I've been with that graphic since the beginning, you know, and I'm extremely stoked that Tyshawn got skater of the year, because as I said, you know, New York, I love his style and I'm well-deserved. So that's what I'm stoked on. Okay. So Templeton, what are you stoked on? Uh, this week? I'm also stoked on Tyshawn getting the Skater of the Year. Uh, can't uh, can't not be stoked on that. Uh, also, I'm stoked on good gear. I think it makes a big difference. It's like super shitty and rainy and cold where I am right now, and I still get to go out on walks every morning because I have good gear that I can trust. So, like you know, if you've got the money, it's worth it to invest in some good gear. You know, good jacket, Swiss bearings, waterproof boots, wool socks. All that shit, it's worth it. It'll last you and it'll probably be in the long run uh, better than buying some shitty jacket that you're going to have to replace. Uh, and then also in preparation for this interview, I was poking around on the Smithsonian's website and just like looking at the collection online is super interesting. So I would highly recommend everybody just like go in and search skateboard and see what you come up with. There's some really cool stuff in there. And I guess kind of gives you a little preview of what you'll see in the book which is also rad. You guys should check it out. It is called Four Wheels and a Board. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, Four Wheels and a Board. Go go pick it up. And you know it'll be linked in the show notes. That's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out MostlySkateboarding.net for links to the things that we talked about and other show notes. Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Uh, Jason, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carburet1994 on Instagram at Frozen Carbonite and writing stuff for quartersnacks.com. New stuff probably coming soon, uh, first quarter 2023. Patrick, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter under the handle at Colonel K Speaks. You can also find me on Instagram under the handle at Pikigongo. Or you can find me doing cool stuff with the Harold Hunter Foundation. We are actually doing an end of the year drive that will be linked in the show notes. Betsy, where can the people find you and your work on the internet? Well, you can, of course, uh, try to find four wheels and a board on the internet. And then if you want to do something called Ramp It Up, do a search on Ramp It Up. And that was my show on Native American skateboard culture. And I do have an Instagram and Facebook account, but they're so inconsequential that I don't want anybody <laughs> to find me because I don't pass. I, you know, I post pictures of my grandchild. So don't. Yeah, I'm just an old lady. So that's where they can find me. Templeton, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mostly Skate and on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding. We'll see you guys next week. Later.